Good morning. It's good to be back with all of you. A pleasure. I'm only here for another day or so. Then I have to fly back to San Diego. But I came up here to deliver my grandson back to his mom. He was glad and I was glad. I can't wait to get back to Poolside in California. I had fun at the VBS. I found out that Barb is an embalmer. I didn't know that. She's embalming little mummies. And uh, I learned uh, some things in a song. One was, uh, I asked uh, Janine this morning, or Janelle this morning, but she couldn't remember. I think it's the Lord, our Savior, forgives. Now, in California, it's different. When the sun comes out, you go surfing. <laughs> look like the same thing. So, uh, This is an easy sermon to preach. Kate Gherkin one time asked me, how come you always preach on the Old Testament? Well... It just occurred to me this morning as we were singing the sermon hymn, I know why I preach on the Old Testament, because the illustrations are provided. If you preach on Paul, right, guys? Are you awake? <laughs> you have to come, with, come up with your own applications to life. But uh, Joseph is a beautiful application to life. Very interesting person. Uh, he lived about... Uh, 2000 BC, and uh, that's a long time ago, kids. And uh, he went through a lot. And uh, Joseph is also a type of Christ. He endured some of the same things in his life that Christ did, and his life is a pattern that would be completely fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And so as we look at the text today from uh, Genesis 50, we're going to find some of those parallels, and I'm sure you'll pick them out even before... I mentioned them. Restored is the uh, last uh, lesson of VBS and the last lesson of our sermon series on uh, God's ultimate goal for not just uh, you and me, but for all the people in the world, uh, restoration to him and to one another and to his plan for the world to come. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead... They said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Did they do evil? Absolutely. What did they do? Christy gave us a list at the children's message. Threw, uh, sold him into slavery. Threw him in a well first, let him stew all day in a dry well. Then sold him into slavery because their oldest brother Reuben decided they shouldn't kill him. Just sell him into slavery to Egypt. Uh, in Egypt, what happened to him there? He ended up in prison for a while and justly accused. Suffered for years in uh, prison. Finally was released and uh, was able to uh, tell Pharaoh his dream. And became Pharaoh's right hand man. And now does he have the power? He's second only to Pharaoh in power in Egypt. Their father Jacob has died, and it's a perfect opportunity for Joseph to do what? Off with their heads. Get them back for all that stuff they did. And when I was a kid, I understood vengeance. If you could get your brothers back, you did it. And what's the uh, saying about vengeance? It's a dish best served cold. Wait until there's complete surprise, and then get them when they're not looking... And, of course, that's the way of the world. That's the way people think. It's our old sinful nature to be like that. But it doesn't lead to peace. 
It doesn't lead to any kind of satisfaction or closure. It only leads to more bloodshed, to more heartache and more problems. Joseph's brothers had to come up with something that would save their necks from their point of view. What were they going to do? They had no choice but to approach Joseph and bring up this sensitive subject to pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Of course, they acknowledged it. They couldn't deny it. Your father gave this command, they say to Joseph, before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. You think they did that? You think Jacob said that? No. It really smells. Okay. This, they came up with this. They're like little children. They came up with this on the way to talk to Joseph. What are we going to say to him? I know. Let's tell him our father said he had to forgive us. And then they invoke someone else's name, a higher authority. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants, that's them, of the God of your father, Jacob. Just listen to that. God said so too. Not only did your father tell you to forgive us, but God said that too. Well, they're right. God wanted Joseph to forgive. How do you suppose Joseph feels about all of this? You only need two words. Joseph wept. Who also wept? Because they didn't understand him. They didn't understand the mind of God. Jesus wept. These guys wept because the people in the story didn't understand how much God loved them and wanted to forgive them. They didn't need to go through all these machinations. They didn't need to call on the name of Jacob or the name of God. Joseph had already decided to forgive them years before when they first got together. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. They fulfilled that dream that Joseph had of the sheaves bowing down to the single sheaf of wheat in the center. They fulfilled that prophecy. Who else would bow down? All people would bow down to Jesus. So there's that idea of a ruler of God's people that God raised up himself. And that certainly applies to Christ as well. His brothers also came down, fell before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. We're not only God's servants, but we are your servants. And that was very true. Very important to understand what's taking place in the story as these ordinary men who have done great evil in the past, come to their brother seeking mercy. And of course we know Joseph is glad to give it. We hear him speak tenderly to them. He assures them of his forgiveness. He promises them that he will take care of them in the land of Egypt all the days of his life, that he will take care of their children and grandchildren, that they need not fear. They lived in the Delta region of Egypt and uh, for many more years and saw children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. It's kind of like this congregation. I'm thrilled when I come back here and see all the babies. These guys work hard. (laughs) They have a couple of babies. All the other families have babies. When you have a children's message and uh, nine-tenths of them have no idea what you're talking about, (laughs) it's just like the rest of the congregation. (laughs) They fit right in. No, it's a thrill. And when you, do, when you have the announcement, you don't know good, how good you have it. 
I, I serve in a couple of congregations down south where my wife and I attend worship and also my brother's church. I've preached in both. They have announcements. And they're like, uh, you know, and nobody responds. And the hymns are sung by three people out of a hundred. It's completely different. You guys have it so good here. And I'm so thrilled to see the congregation that I retired from thriving spiritually and emotionally. And, yes, physically. Lots of new faces. So glad to see this when I come back. It's a thrill for me. Uh, if we look at Romans, the words of Paul, some 2,000 years after Joseph, we see a, a command of God that certainly Joseph understood even well before the time of Christ. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. It's not Joseph's place, did he say to his brothers, it's not my place to punish you or judge you. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And his vengeance will be much worse than anything we can cook up. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. We can just hear the teachings of Christ coming through the words of Paul. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. It really makes an enemy question why they're even your enemy when you treat them so well with such loving kindness and mercy. It's really a good thing to do, and it's what God wants all of us to do, is not judge each other and not condemn each other, and certainly not punish each other, but rather to forgive and restore. And so we hear in the words of Christ himself how we were restored to God as well. It isn't just about others who might hurt us, but it's we ourselves who undoubtedly have hurt others and committed sins against others. Let's read together this word of restoration and reconciliation we hear from Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Stop there. How did he give his son? He sent him to the cross to pay for your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world. Jesus suffered the vengeance from God that you and I deserve for our sins. Let's continue. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What happened in Joseph's life and his brothers? They sold him into slavery to get back at him. And instead he became right-hand man to Pharaoh that saved not only the lives of the 60 souls that were under Jacob's family, but later on thousands and thousands, even as many as a million Israelites were saved because of what happened there. Why in the world would Joseph take vengeance on his brothers when it was God's plan all along to save his people in this way. In the same way, why would we ever want to take vengeance on anyone in our lives since Jesus gave his life to pay for our sins to set us free? So we have all been restored to God who believe in Jesus as our Savior. That also means we're restored to one another, not only restored to God and to a saving relationship to him, 
but to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, Paul writes in the letter to the Galatians we had for our uh, second text today, you you who are spiritual, notice that, you who are spiritual, doesn't mean you sing spiritual songs, or you walk around with a halo. What does it mean? You who are spiritual. You who are led by the Holy Spirit to act a certain way. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We don't want to ruin anyone's reputation. We do it gently. And keep watch on yourself. Why? Lest you too be tempted because you are also a sinner. You're not just a saint and spiritual, but you're also a sinner. Lest you too be tempted. It might be your turn next. Wouldn't you want someone else to restore you gently? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Take care of each other. Watch out for each other. We are responsible for each other. Not only are we restored to each other, but we now have a relationship of brotherly love. So important in our daily lives. And it begins at home in our families, with our wives, with our husbands, with our children and grandchildren. That's where it begins. A spirit of gentleness and correction and admonition followed by love and restoration. We're also restored to the promised land. I saw a video uh, in San Diego that our deacon, uh, who leads our congregation there, uh, showed to our Bible study. It's a fairly new archaeological uh, discovery they had in the Delta region of uh, Egypt where the Israelites lived. Uh, archaeologists who uncovered it uh, date it to the wrong period because they're stuck on a certain date for the Exodus. So they date it to a different period. But they discovered uh, 12 tombs. And one of the tombs was in a pyramid shape. It was larger than all the others. And it had a twice life-size figure of a pharaoh who was an Israelite. Gee, who could that be? Uh, The tomb was empty. There was no mummy in there. Um, The uh, house uh, appeared to be built in an Israelite style, then was knocked down and replaced with an Egyptian palace uh, fit for a right-hand man to pharaoh. And uh, the other tombs, of course, were probably the tombs of other eminent people, which would have been Joseph's brothers, uh, all there together in the Delta region. Uh, The fact that there was no mummy in Joseph's tomb was very interesting because what happened to Joseph's body? What did he tell his brothers? Do you remember? Yeah. uh, Someday God's going to keep his promise. It took 600 years. And we'll all go back to the promised land. And so I want to be buried there, is what Joseph said. And so the tomb is empty. Who else's tomb is empty? Yeah. Isn't it wonderful? It's wonderful when you hear the whole story. It's amazing. Because he holds fast to me in love. This is from Psalm 91. It's a messianic psalm. But as you hear it, think about Joseph, not about Jesus. It's a messianic psalm. It's true of Jesus. But think about Joseph's life. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. He delivered him over and over again, didn't he? I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. 
I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That restoration that leads to eternal life in a promised land. For Joseph, the land of Israel, for us, a new world that's coming. This is not only true of Jesus and true of Joseph, but it's also true of you and me. As over the course of our lives, God delivers us and protects us as we trust in him. And what is waiting for us at the end? Eternal life, resurrection, a new world with all those folks we love and have shared our faith with for many, many years. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.